0: It's a great privilege to be here, everybody. I'm going to pray uh, an old Anglican prayer, which you've often heard. Um, Some of you have often heard this, but uh, let's bow our heads together. Our gracious God, what we know not, please teach us. And what we have not, please give to us. And what we are not, please make us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. The sentence that I hope you'll remember... From this morning is to Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and uh, just as we work hard and I'm sure you do to help people to learn that salvation depends on grace the Lord works on us to help us to learn that our service also rests on his grace and I hope you still feel that you have much to learn there's a story I like of a premier visiting a hospital where he's about to open a wing, a new wing for dementia, and he's walking around with a fairly scary matron, and he says to the matron, um, how do you assess people for this particular place? What's the, uh, what's the test? And she says, uh, we fill a bath, and we ask people, what do you think is the quickest way to empty the bath? Would you use a spoon, a cup, a jug, or a bucket? And the premier says, well, that's easy, use the bucket. And the matron says, now, actually, the quickest way is to pull the plug. Would you like a bed in the corner or near the window? And we have lots to learn. And uh, the Apostle Paul is teaching Timothy uh, how to serve the Lord well in this letter. In chapter 1, he reminds Timothy of the past, that he has a family of believers in the past, and also that the plan of God goes back into eternity. And he also, in chapter 1, talks about the future. He reassures him for the future. You remember those famous words, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed until that day. But uh, now in chapter 2, he gets down to business uh, on what ministry will look like. And I want us to think about two things briefly this morning. The first is what I've called the strength that Christ gives. And this is the verse, chapter 2, verse 1. And the second thing is the service that Christ seeks. And that's really some of the unfolding of chapter 2. So first of all, the strength that Christ gives. He says, be strong or be strengthened in the grace of Christ. Now, this may be a shock to some people in the pews or in the streets who think that a minister or somebody in full-time ministry would need any real strength for the work. Um, Especially if you think that ministry means that um, somebody gets up and trots out a dull talk or um, sits and drinks coffee with people or just answers emails, um, slowly if necessary. But you see, Paul is writing to Timothy from the position of death row. He's he's about to be executed. And he's called on Timothy to suffer in chapter 1. And he's mentioned already in chapter 1 people who've left him, deserted him, disappointed him. Uh, He wants Timothy to train disciples. That's difficult. He wants him to silence troublemakers. Well, I don't know if you've ever tried to silence a troublemaker in the church. And he wants him to fight his own sins, and he wants him to be patient with all even difficult people. And this requires strength way beyond our own. Uh, You and I know, I'm sure, that uh, creating a believer is impossible for us. Creating a mature disciple walking a path of godliness, dealing with ourselves and our sneakiness, dealing with others and their duplicity. It's all beyond us, absolutely beyond us. When I'd uh, finished my two apprenticeships, I'd been a curate in two different places. I went to um, a parish in the western suburbs for five years, and I would say that in the middle of that, I felt as though nothing went well. Um, I don't think anybody was converted in those five years. Um, Couples, marriages broke up. There was a steady trickle of people coming to tell me that they wanted to stop doing the ministry that they were doing. And and the Lord brought me very low. I felt as though I had been completely gutted in the ministry. I got to the point where I wondered whether I was a believer, let alone called to ministry. And at that particular point, a new door opened. And I went into this new door absolutely persuaded by God that if anything good was going to happen, it would have to be by him. And here I am now, having retired, and I'm working in a place in the eastern suburbs which is very difficult. A very small group, mostly unbelievers, and I've been preaching to them for 15 months, and I'm not sure one person has been chained. And we therefore have to recognize how much we need the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ if we're to keep going. So I want to reflect on this sentence of chapter 2, verse 1 be strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say be strengthened in the strength, or be strengthened in the power, or be strengthened in the truth, or be strengthened in the faith. He says be strengthened in the grace. And it's the same grace which in chapter 1 he reminds Timothy, as I say, he was saved by. And now he tells him that this same grace is going to give you strength for service. Well, friends, let me ask you this. Was there enough grace for your salvation in the Lord Jesus? And the answer is there was. Will there be enough strength in the Lord Jesus for your service? The answer is there will be. We do not have the strength. And if you think you do have the strength, he will teach you. He will teach you that you don't. There are two amazing things about this truth, aren't there? The first is that uh, we could imagine that this morning around the world, two billion people wake up who are believers. Let's imagine there are two billion believers in Jesus around the world. And they wake up and they say, please strengthen me for today. And the Lord Jesus from the throne of heaven strengthens two billion believers for their particular challenges extraordinary. But then again, you have to say to yourself, this is the same Lord Jesus who's sustaining the galaxies of the universe. And therefore, to provide the needs of people on this tiny planet is a very simple thing for him. And he's also got the will to do it. So we must rejoice together that there is a very great and gracious Lord Jesus behind this invitation to be strengthened doing a very great work in the world. Jim Packer puts this like this. You know, uh, Jim Packer has the ability to express theology in a way that is clear and exciting. I mean, theology is exciting, but he manages to express it. And he says this in one of his books. What we must grasp is that the one tripersonal God, our God, operates as a team. All three persons within the divine unity, working together with each other to carry through a single, huge, mind-blowing plan, namely to establish a multi-billion strong community of redeemed human beings, each one an enormously complex entity in creational terms, within a fully reconstructed cosmos with Jesus Christ the mediator at its centre for all eternity. Is that not a great sentence? And then he says this, to say wow or something equivalent is appropriate. <laughs> and he, he, he is absolutely right. It is amazing. Now, going back to this sentence of Christ strengthening us, what will it look like when he strengthens us? What will happen? We send up our little feeble prayer, Lord, strengthen me for this particular time, this challenge. What, what will it look like? It's not going to look like we suddenly become... Powerful in worldly terms. We may not suddenly become impressive. It may not look like we escape our troubles either. It may be that he'll clear our mind. Some text will come to our mind and we'll suddenly see everything with a brand new clarity. Light. Enthusiasm. It may be that he'll bring a helper to help us. What a blessing that can be. He refers to a Nesiphimus. Yeah, he refers to that guy in chapter one <laughs> who's come to help him. And what a blessing he was, refreshing him. It could be the Lord will change our circumstances. Some difficulties may disappear. Some new progress may arrive. It may be that he'll simply cause his Holy Spirit to give us new courage, new peace, or new joy. But he's got the ability to strengthen us according to the challenge that we're facing. And I say again, the one who's given us enough grace for salvation will give us enough grace for our service. But uh, you and I are going to need the wisdom to throw ourselves on him and to say to him, this is beyond me, but it's not beyond you. Be strengthened, says the apostle, in the grace in Christ Jesus. So we're not asking for strength to be successful. We're not asking to escape all our troubles We're not asking to have an easy life. We're not asking to travel business class through the Christian life. We're being being called on here to ask him for the strength that he will give for the task that we are facing. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I hope you'll remember this all your days. And whether you're a first year or the principal, you need the grace of Christ for your task and your life. Now, the second thing this morning is I want to think about the service that Christ seeks. And this is the flow on from chapter 2. There's too much in chapter 2 for any detailed comment. It would be great to be able to spend time on some of the treasures that are in this particular chapter. But I just want to point out a few of the main issues in chapter 2. And the first, I guess, in verse 2 is that he'll give us strength for the finding and the appointing and the raising of gospel workers. You see that in verse 2? looking out for the people who can take on what you have been given yourself. And there are four people in the relay of chapter 2, verse 2. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's the faithful men, and then there's the others down the track, the next generation. Now, we've been tremendously blessed in this city to have seen this uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 operate in a very wonderful way. The, the gifts that Christ has given to this Uh, generation, or the last generation, and the present generation for the raising up of gospel workers is a very great privilege. And the people who've done this so well, and the people who've written about this so well, we're well equipped for this. But I, I do want to remind you that the task is not easy. Raising up a gospel worker, you know, is not like cooking a cake. People can be very difficult, very disappointing. We need the strength of Christ. You'll notice that Timothy is to look for faithful and competent people. Faithful, because if you don't have faithful, well, well, everything goes astray. Competent, because if you've got faithful but not competent, things end up as a mess. We've got to find people who are faithful and competent. It's a a very important twosome in verse 2. Finding the people who can take the work forward is a very wonderful thing. Uh, Reading the Bible with them is a very wonderful thing. Uh, Learning or teaching the priorities with them is a very wonderful thing, but without the strength of Christ, it will fall apart. We need his help. Our second strength area is verses 3 to 6, strength to persevere. And here we have the famous illustrations of the soldier, athlete and the farmer. Uh, These, of course, are very sweaty jobs, soldier, athlete and farmer, but they're also very slow You don't normally join the army for a quick victory. You don't normally join the Olympic team for a quick medal. You don't normally join the farming world for a quick harvest. These are slow, patient tasks. And healthy congregations do not come quickly. And healthy disciples don't come quickly. You need the strength of Christ to be a soldier, an athlete and a farmer. Interesting, again, his illustrations are not sort of uh, cooking, dance classes and knitting. He's using really sweaty, difficult illustrations. I remember a minister saying to me once that he used to sit at his desk preparing his talk and the man outside the window who was working the jackhammer with arms like tree trunks was all, with all the sweat pouring off him and he'd say to himself, now that guy's working, I'm sitting at my desk like a slob. But he said actually to get the text right, to believe it, to grasp it, to live it, to pass it on, to get other people to believe it and to live it. It takes everything you've got. It takes all your mind, heart, soul and strength to do this work and we need the strength of Christ to help us. And then there's the strength of convictions. You see in verses 7 to 13, he says, I want you to think hard because you can't get there breezily and the Lord will give you insight. We need him. During this last week, I've read the little book on preaching by Tim Keller, and he says we're capable, perhaps, of producing a good talk. But it is only God who will make a great talk. That's a very helpful reminder. And when Paul says here that we must think hard because the Lord gives insight, there's a beautiful balance there between our work and his And when God raises up people with very great conviction, and what a blessing it is, brothers and sisters, when God raises up somebody with very great conviction. I'm not talking about somebody with a great brain or a great personality or great oratory. I'm talking about somebody who really believes their beliefs and doubts their doubts. That is a great gift to us. I had the privilege of working with a man like this when I went for my second assistant's job in the UK and uh, I had the privilege of working for three years with a man called Dick Lucas, who turns 97 this year and is still sharp as a tack. And I remember that I literally left Bondi Beach and got on a plane and went over to work with him, and his house, his flat, and his church are in the middle of the financial district of London. And I went into his flat, and we went up to the top floor uh, of two floors, and I was looking out the window, and everybody was running past Uh, all these men and women, and the men still in bowler hats with umbrellas and pinstripe suits. And looking out the window, I made the great mistake of saying to him, do you feel a bit irrelevant? And he said one word, lemmings. Lemmings, the little animals that run over cliffs. And then he went off to make a cup of tea. (laughs) And he was utterly persuaded that all the people of London were desperately needy, desperately needy. And he was utterly persuaded that his role in the city was desperately needed. It was a great privilege. And when, as Paul says, we meditate on the Word of God and he gives us insight so that we become people of conviction it translates into the people who we minister to in a very wonderful way. We get our convictions about Jesus, verse 8, about the elect and the work of God, verse 10, and about hope to come, verse 11 to 13, strength of conviction. And then strength for word ministry. You notice uh, further down in verses 14, 15, 16, he starts to talk about the ministry of the word, and being a good servant of the word. Uh, It's in the context of a great deal on chatter and gossip. I don't know if you've noticed that in the pastoral letters there's a lot of talk about chatter and gossip, and you may think that this is just silly people who stand around the water cooler talking trivia. But I'm absolutely persuaded in the pastoral letters this is where human opinion has taken the place of divine scripture. And people are more interested in what they think than what God actually says. It's not harmless. It produces, as Paul says, gangrene. And in the midst of that, says Paul, we need people who will preach or teach the word of God. So 2.14, there are so many words circling around us and so many stupid things being said. And of course, it's quite appealing to our nature to listen to silliness But in the middle of it, 2.14, somebody needs to be putting forward the word of God. Verse 16 again, avoid godless chatter and know, verse 19, that God's word will have the final word. So be part of the final word of God. There's a million empty words coming at the people that we live amongst and us as well all the time. And unless someone holds up the word of God, we're going to drown in stupidity. And you'll see that one example of this Paul gives is these two people who say the resurrection is gone. It's over, it's past, which I presume means we've arrived, which is absolutely tragic. So, my friends, if you've stopped reading the Bible and you're just reading what people say, or if you meet with a group and you talk more about what you think than what the Scripture says, or if you're in the pulpit and you've actually started to distrust the Bible and you've moved into what you think would be interesting... Please get back to the word of God, which is what we're called to do. All of this diluting, which is going on in the church today and even in Sydney today, is contributing to the weakness of the church and the weakness of our witness. And we need the strength of Christ to get back to the word of God. The word of God is very significant. I don't know if you know uh, the historian Niall Ferguson, but he's a very clever man, and he wrote a book called Civilization. And in the book, he describes how China was looking across to the U.S. and trying to work out how the U.S. You can always count on one of those when things are important, can't you? (laughs) The US, um, the China was looking across to the United States, trying to work out why the United States was so industrious and prosperous and successful. And they actually sent a delegation of Chinese people over to the US to find out what was the secret of this industrious prosperity. And there was not a believer involved, but they worked out together that it went back to Protestantism. And of course, the Protestantism went back to the scriptures. And then sadly, Niall Ferguson makes the conclusion that China would do well to take many of the Western texts seriously. And he lists a number of the Western texts and the one he recommends most highly is Shakespeare. But of course he does that because he can't see properly. But you who can see properly must know that the scriptures are what are going to lay down the foundation in the lives of your people and produce what is needed. Finally, strength for godly ministry. You see Paul's illustration in 2.20, He says, you must see yourself as a container or a vessel or a bowl or a jar or a bucket for the service of Christ. This is a very noble task that we've been given. It is the most noble task. We have been called, believe it or not, feeble little vessels that we are, to carry this tremendous treasure. We're not called to carry garbage. We're not called to carry slops. We're called to carry the treasure... And that's why he says we must keep fighting the sins which easily infect us. And you know yourself as well as I do, that deep in our heart is the desire to have the world and the kingdom. And that's, of course, when we fall into that, of thinking that that will work when we become our most feeble and our most discouraged. Because we're not really getting the world happily and we're not really living in the kingdom well. And the Apostle Paul says, you must see yourself as a vessel carrying great treasure and get rid of the things which will enfeeble you. When he talks about the desires of youth, uh, you may immediately think that, of course, means sex. And it may mean sex. But there's a lot of other desires of youth that you may be aware of. And when I think back to my youth, it would be things like overconfidence, being too sure of myself, being unteachable, thinking that everybody over 40 was an idiot. Um, deeply interested in my own welfare and my own boundaries, maybe anger, maybe pride, maybe thinking that if anybody disagreed with me, that was the end of the friendship. All of this is just uh, immature. We need to put those things away. We need the strength, says Paul of Christ, for godliness. And how good, my friends, that the Holy Spirit is able to tame the desires of the flesh and to promote the fruit of the Spirit we can ask him for the taming of our desires and the promoting of the fruit and he will help us in our work even to be gentle which is so powerful in the service of Christ. So I finish by saying to you again Jesus gives strength for service there'll be sometimes you'll come to college and you'll feel absolutely empty and there'll be sometimes you go to your church and you'll feel completely depressed and washed out And uh, to use a corny illustration, it's as if you have two drops of water left in your cup and you're going into the fellowship and you're saying to yourself, I badly need people to fill me up. And it is as if the Lord Jesus says, please pour out those last two cups for somebody else. And in your mind, you say, Lord, if I pour out these last two cups, I'm finished. And he says, pour them out. And as you pour them out, he fills the cup and he refreshes you, and he gives you strength for his service. And he also seeks special service, and he's able to help you to do that because, as Paul says in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not along with him graciously give us all things? So, my dear friends, be strengthened for the service, and he's able and willing to provide it. Let's pray together. We thank you, our gracious God, for grace for salvation and grace for service and pray that as you have provided the first, you would wonderfully provide the second to your praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.